It is with great pleasure I welcome Dr. Stephen Finn to our podcast today. Dr. Finn is the president and founder of the Therapeutic Assessment Institute in Austin, Texas, where he maintains a private practice. I first learned about Dr. Finn and his unique approach to psychological assessment through our assessment course in my graduate studies here at Regent University. Uh, after reading his book, In Our Client's Shoes, I contacted Dr. Finn and he graciously accepted my invitation and joins us here today. Dr. Finn, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you, Daniel. It's a pleasure. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this conversation and hearing more from you and learning more about your work. Great, me too. <laughs> um, I think it would be interesting if you could just kind of share where you first, uh, where your interest in psychology first began. You know, I, I think like a lot of psychologists, I was just one of those people who was interested in people and people liked talking to me and telling me about their problems long before I became a psychologist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but when I was 18, I um, went to Haverford College to begin uh, my you know, undergraduate career. And uh, I was really fortunate to have some really wonderful psychology professors there. And I got very interested and decided to major in psychology. Mm. And um, then from there, I, um, after a year break, um, I went to the University of Minnesota um, to get a PhD in psychology. And I, that's where my interest in psychological assessment really developed. So, mm, okay. Yeah. Uh, did you know that psychologists did assessment and testing before getting into like majoring in psychology? Um, you know, I can't remember that I did. Huh. Um, though I was very interested in personality and I knew there was such a thing as personality testing, mm. but I think I didn't know much about clinical assessment. So, uh -huh. yeah. yeah, like uh, for me, I didn't know. One of my first classes in grad school was, uh, it was the introduction to IQ testing. Mm. And I had no idea that psychologists did this. I, I, I saw, you know, the Rorschach inkblot test, stuff like that. Yeah, but IQ testing, I was like, we do this. So that was kind of a surprise for me. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. 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 Um, I saw that you in, in, in the book. So first uh, I read in our client's shoes um, that was written quite a bit ago. Yeah, 2007. Um, yeah, 2007. And that was a beautiful book. It's, it's a, got, you know, articles and presentations that you've given and it's really well compiled. It gives a great overview. Is there um, a newer or more recent book that you would recommend, or or is that still the book that you would recommend for kind of um, getting a feel for what it is that you do? Uh, we have two new books coming out in 2022 oh. uh, that will be published by Routledge. And one is on therapeutic assessment with adults, mm. and it's called the Therapeutic Assessment Using Psychological Testing to Help Clients Change. Mm. And then the second book is on therapeutic assessment with children, mm. and it's called Therapeutic Assessment with Children Using Psychological Assessment to Enhance Parental Empathy. Okay. And so those, I think the child book will be, it's actually already on sale at the Routledge website. Huh. I think it'll be out in March and the adult book uh, just a couple months later. So. Okay. Yeah. So those will be sort of like the definitive how-to manuals. So, okay, yeah. great, great. Yeah. Can you give us a little taste of um, why why enhancing empathy? Yeah, for for the print, the child book. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. yeah. So I think um, what 
what we've learned with therapeutic assessment with children is parents come bringing a child who has some kind of problem. Often the child is sort of the identified patient. Mm. And, um, but the, the uh, parents often don't have an accurate or compassionate view of what's going on with the child. Mm. And so we found that the best way to help children who come to us is to do a therapeutic assessment, kind of like a family systems intervention, mm. where we try to help the parents see the child more accurately and compassionately and understand what's going on. Mm. And there's an old family therapy saying, if you change the viewing, you change the doing. Uh -huh. So if the parents view the child differently, then they start acting towards the child differently. And often that goes a long way towards uh, resolving or helping with the problems that they came in with. Okay, okay. And so the model for therapeutic assessment with children, for example, has parents watching testing sessions as they occur, hmm. and then talking about them with the assessor. Hmm. Um, so that, again, to sort of help the parents get a different view of the child. So, yeah. Yeah. And in the book, In Our Client's Shoes, you mentioned time and time again how important it is for us as clinicians or therapists or assessors to get into the client's shoes. And we use these testing instruments in order to do so. So it sounds very much like helping the parent get into the child's shoes. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. And then the children, it's really funny. Like you would think chil children being watched during the testing, doesn't it inhibit the child? Mm. But I mean, every once in a while you find a child who's kind of spooked by that, but uh -huh. almost always the kids kind of figure out that you're a translator with the parents mm. and then they kind of like start using you you know uh -huh. like you ask them to do a drawing and they draw a dead tree you know a depressed kid draws a dead tree uh -huh. and then you know they're you almost kind of see them have an eye on the video camera or on the, the two-way mirror and then they know you're going to go help that parent figure out that's not just a dead tree that the mm. kids saw, but it actually has some kind of meaning. Mm. So it really works really well. So, mm. Yeah, because yeah, um, I think one of the things that they teach us in traditional assessment is that um, it's not it's not um, maybe advisable or it's not standardized to have parents in on the child or watching the children and the children know about that. Um, so, um, yeah, when, I guess, can you kind of tell us for people who don't know much about therapeutic assessment, can you give us kind of a rundown of what it is that you do and how it differs from traditional assessment? Yeah. So first let me, uh, so therapeutic assessment in brief is a short term psychological intervention that uses psychological testing at its core. Okay. And, uh, the main goal is to help the, the client leaves the assessment with a better understanding of their problems and, uh, and some tools and a new way of looking at themselves in the world will, will help them be more successful with mm. the goals that they're, they're blocked on. So that's the goal. Mm. And, um, you know, the, the, the tests are really uh, key to it because I think our, our psychological tests are so amazing at figuring things out. I mean, they're not perfect by any means and they don't have truth with a capital T about anybody, mm. but they're, they give us information that we can discuss with people to give them a sort of no, new view of themselves in the world. And that turns out that that can be very, very impactful on people. Mm. And, you know, 
the way this came about is I was being trained in traditional assessment in graduate school, and I had a couple of really potent experiences where I had been doing an assessment and it clearly changed the person's life. Mm. And I was just like stunned by these experiences and went back to my professors at University of Minnesota and said, does anybody ever anybody <laughs> written about assessment as a like an intervention? And they said, well, no, not really. And um, and there were mentions and a few mentions in the literature in passing, mm -hmm. but it wasn't the thing. And so then I just got very interested in it, started doing research on it, started thinking hard about it, how to make it happen more often, and then figure out what the key ingredients were. Mm. So, yeah. That's really neat. And one of those potent experiences you you mentioned uh, in, your, in the book, In Our Client's Shoes, was I think you were on internship at a psychiatric hospital there was kind of someone who you gave your first rorschach to and you talked about you were excited to give to administer your first rorschach and um and with all of the color responses he didn't he didn't really give answers and yeah, the you, color cards he just rejected right? he rejected yeah yeah it was my first practicum placement actually so. oh okay okay yeah, and then I thought I had failed the Rorschach, you know, <laughs> went back to my supervisor and said, oh, I'm really sorry, I tried hard, you know, I did, I kept telling him if he would just take time, he would look at him, and he said, no, he couldn't see anything in those ugly cards, so I guess we, we can't tell anything, and this, you know, really wonderful supervisor said, oh, no, no, we just learned a lot. <laughs> And then I was able to take what we learned, which was basically that this man was coping by refusing to think about the many awful things that had happened to him in his life and kind of packing them away. Mm. And he could do it for short periods of time, but then it would break through and then he would get very psychotic. Mm. And so I talked to him about that and it really rung true for him and he felt very understood and then started participating in an outpatient treatment program that he had refused always to take part in. So, wow. Yeah. yeah, when I read that, I, I read that to my wife. She's, she's at a practicum placement right now at a psychiatric hospital. And she, like tears came to her eye because like, that's, that's the kind of, that's the kind of experience we all want where we, where we have an interaction with a client and we change we change their their whole outlook and we get them help and yeah. um and so yeah for my me personally oh working with assessment i haven't had that in assessment yet <laughs> um yeah. and so that's why reading your book is so encouraging oh well i hope you get the chance to try out some of the collaborative assessment techniques yeah our latest research shows even if you don't do a full therapeutic assessment with all the bells and whistles, if you just sort of get on the playing field mm. and bring in some of the collaborative practices and bring in the attitude, the core values, mm. that it can really influence people. So yeah, uh, yeah. Can you can you tell us a little bit about? Um, so you mentioned you know you went back, you asked, is there any research on this? You started looking into it, um, coming up with this kind of new model this collaborative approach and and um practicing it did you get much pushback um did you have a lot of support was it kind of just you out there on your own you know like what was that process like for you um it it was a little bit me on my own at the beginning and there okay. was some pushback but then i had the great fortune um 
so I graduated from um, University of Minnesota and I took a faculty position at University of Texas. Hmm. And that's why I started doing the research on therapeutic assessment and sort of teaching it to graduate students. Hmm. And um, then I had the great fortune early in the uh, sort of mid 1980s to meet uh, Constance Fisher from Duquesne University who had already developed an entire model of collaborative assessment mm -hmm. that she had written about and was practicing it. She didn't um, consider it uh, a, a brief therapy. Mm -hmm. She was, um, she came out of a phenomenological psychology and a humanistic psychology background. Mm -hmm. and she wanted to make assessment a more humanistic endeavor reduce the power imbalance between client and therapist. And, um, you know, the phenomenological view of the world is that there's no truth with a capital T. Everybody has their own perspective. And so if you take that perspective, it's very natural to give a test to a client and say, what do you think this means? Mm. And rather than go back to your office and then tell the client what it means. You know? <laughs> so she started practicing that. I discovered her work. And I had already started collaborating with clients a little bit, but then I imported her practices into therapeutic assessment and then developed a few of my own that then she started using. So the two of us kind of were a, a, a pair together that helped things move forward. And she, she got even more flack than I did when in the 60s, when she would send out articles about her collaborative practices, the reviewers would reject them and say, this is unethical and you wow. can't do this. And I got some of that, but she got it much more. <laughs> wow. So we supported each other and started, you know, working together. And, yeah. Yeah. So. And how long after, how long after, when, when, when was the, um, the Therapeutic Assessment Institute and the Center for Therapeutic Assessment, when were those founded? So um, in 1993, I left my faculty position at UT and mm. founded the Center for Therapeutic Assessment in Austin. Mm. And so then I brought together a group of people who wanted to learn therapeutic assessment. And so there's seven of us right now here at the center. Mm. And we started working and it was a huge success. Mm. So then I started doing workshops and writing about um, therapeutic assessment. Mm. And then in uh, 2008, I think it was, I brought together people from in the Austin community who are interested in therapeutic assessment. We started uh, forming the Therapeutic Assessment Institute okay. and we were incorporated in 2015 with oh. a board of people all over the world because there's there were, but at this point I had trained and there were people all over the world doing therapeutic assessments. So. Wow. What a what a vision! What a visionaire, right? Like, oh, thanks. <laughs> no, I love what I do, yeah. and I just I just love the idea of more clients getting help through psychological assessment, and mm -hmm. and and luckily people were interested in wanting to learn it. And uh, yeah, that's actually something I wanted to ask you about is um is is reading about reading about this and and seeing the potent experiences that you talk about and all the many more that you must have that you know I just I haven't heard yet um, and knowing how valuable it is 
is there a part of you that that when you hear of of people not not practicing this way or not incorporating therapeutic assessment into their private practice let's say um or still just i don't know i don't know that traditional assessment is indivisible but is there a part of you that wishes the word was more out there and the more people were acceptable to this approach oh sure that's how i'm trying to spread it yeah absolutely um though again the therapeutic assessment approach to this issue is to try to get in the shoes of people Hmm. who maybe have heard about therapeutic assessment and reject it or don't want to do it or can't get themselves to start trying collaborative assessment methods and figure out what's going on with them that might make that true Hmm. and I start to have empathy for those people and what their dilemmas are that keep them. Some of them work in settings where, you know, you basically have to adhere adhere to a traditional assessment model or everybody's going to think you're crazy. (laughs) Some of them, for their own reasons, like that more white coat traditional assessment where I have the answers and you're the the patient. some of them work in forensic settings mm. where you know there is a big deal about differentiating your role and you're not a therapist for your client mm. and i have a lot of empathy for those people and how difficult it can be to start imagining giving feedback to clients when that's not the standard practice mm. um, and uh, so um, but we just trying to take all those sort of blocks the therapeutic assessment, understand them and figure out how we can help people with them. Mm. That's a good, that's a really good point. That's good. I saw that um, you're so widespread now. I saw um, in Milan, Italy, and I forget, Tokyo, Japan, maybe you have people all over the world. Yeah, we have a European Center for Therapeutic Assessment in Milan. And then we have uh, Asian Pacific Center for Therapeutic Assessment in Tokyo. Okay. And then there's a group in Holland at the Fiersprung Institute for Personality Disorder Treatment. Hmm. And there's a group in Buenos Aires um, that is very interested. So it's starting to spread all over. Yeah. Wow. And uh, right now, I'm for the first time beginning to train someone in China. In oh, Maine, man. China. So, yeah, who is very interested. Um, so. What's it like when you kind of slow down for a second and look back to when you first started researching this and knowing now how widespread it is. Oh, I kind of pinch myself. (laughs) (laughs) I bet. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But I also feel very humbled by it because I Mm. think there's still a lot for us to learn. Yeah. And as it spreads, I think there are, and by the way, what I, what the amazing thing I found as I go around the world, there are people with good hearts and minds who've been doing psychological assessment and they start inventing collaborative assessment on their own, huh. but they feel kind of guilty about it. <laughs> <laughs> like they'll say, you know what I did? You know, I, I've been giving the Rorschach and then I asked the client afterwards what he thinks of his mm. own responses, you know, huh. and then they find out about therapeutic assessment and they're very relieved mm. you know, and huh. happy. But then sometimes they have things they've invented that they're doing that we were not doing and we start incorporating. Oh, wow. So it's this, um, it's both a a, really a wonderful, but a humbling experience Mm. too. Yeah. Um, So it's, it's just great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still learning. Yeah. I just love the, not the, 
I love the collaborative nature of therapeutic assessment with your with your with the people you're working with, but also the collaborative nature that you're talking about, where all around the world when you meet other people that are adopting these um, different techniques or things that maybe you guys haven't thought of, and then you're collaborating with each other, and it's just building this model of collaboration. I love it. Yeah. Well, so. thank you. I mean. I try to have the model be consistent on every single level. <laughs> Absolutely. And when we're supervising people, we try to take a sort of therapeutic assessment approach to training and supervising people too. Mm. So, yeah. yeah, that was something that stood out to me is you you began teaching a class on assessment. Um, I, I'm, it's blinking on me where Sorry, I was. University of Texas, yeah, okay. a graduate class. And, and then you, you thought to yourself, well, if I'm going to be teaching, I might as well use a therapeutic assessment type of collaborative approach to this teaching. And that class sounded wonderful. It sounded like everyone really appreciated it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, and um, again, it's we just try to be consistent on every level, you know. Yeah. We have a we have a five day therapeutic assessment boot camp called the therapeutic assessment immersion course huh. that we do periodically and uh, for people who want to just learn the basics and and there's a lot of role plays involved and super, we we uh, hire people to play clients for the whole week uh -huh. and the person gets to work with the client from the initial session all the way through the feedback. Oh, you know? neat and with somebody helping them every step of the way and people tell us it's life-changing you know mm. to just go through the course so yeah wow so. the there at the institute if um if one wants to get certified in therapeutic assessment um can you tell us about that process and what that looks like yeah basically to be certified you just have to be able to show us that you can do all the steps of therapeutic assessment and demonstrate the competencies and core values mm. So um, what we have been doing is people get supervision and training, and then at some point they videotape an entire assessment, send in the videotapes. We watch them and make comments on them, and then we have a discussion with the person who's applying. Huh. And if they you know, pass, then they're certified. Huh. We recently have a new secondary way that people can get certified. They can work with one of the TA Institute faculty session by session like you show me videotapes of an initial session in supervision and then i go okay that's good enough to be certified in an initial session uh -huh. and then you move to the next step and you do that okay and then so you can even use different cases and accumulate and when you got through all the steps then you're certified so okay and there's you there's four types of certification ta with adults TA with children and families, TA with adolescents and families, and TA with couples. Oh. And they're all slightly different skills. They're very similar. Once you learn one, you start doing the others, but there's specialized stuff with each one. So we require people to get, and if you're doing TA with couples, you have to first be certified in TA with adults before you can apply for certification. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it's not like, uh, you know, some of these like a uh, psychoanalytic institutes like five years long it's not like <laughs> no yeah no I, my sense is if people already are have some good psychotherapy skills and mm. good um assessment skills and know mm. their tests pretty well that um it takes about four to six cases that are supervised and working together for people to get certified well and that's yeah. yeah that sounds well yeah yeah 
Um, you we, before we before we began recording, you mentioned um, you mentioned shame and therapeutic assessment. Um, I'd like to hear yeah your thoughts on on that. Yeah, I do. Um, I do trainings around the world now on working with clients around shame because I think it's such an important theme that we don't really get much training in. Mm. And I think, you know, um, luckily in the last five or 10 years, there are many more writings about shame and uh, much more interest in it. But when I first started being interested in it a long time ago, there was, there was very little and very little training for therapists about it. Mm. And, you know, um, I think a lot of the clinical problems that we see of depression or addictions or um, you know, anxiety disorders, et cetera, often are very entwined with people having shame. Mm -hmm. And so um, if you can learn to recognize shame and learn how to work with clients around shame, then I think you can often really, really help them with their problems. So part of the training and therapeutic assessment now is very uh, about how to recognize and work with shame. Oh. Then assessment, as opposed to psychotherapy, is really interesting because it brings up places of shame for people that might not come up in therapy. Mm. If you're ashamed of something, you 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 know you might not talk about it to your therapist, or you might wait five years to talk about it to your therapist. Yeah. But if it comes out in a psychological test, and you know the therapist says, "Oh, people with this MMPI profile often have problems with." Um, addictions and you mm. haven't mentioned like have you had any problems in that area that you might want to talk about then it's out on the table mm. and so the shame will come up and then you have to really know how to work with the person so that you don't leave feeling more ashamed mm. and then you know um about uh therapeutic assessment you know what we're trying to do in general is help people have more accurate useful, compassionate, um, and coherent narratives about themselves at the end of the assessment um, about why they have the problems they do. And so our research shows that therapeutic assessment really reduces shame. Oh. So, yeah. Wow. And that that is a big part of what how therapeutic assessment can help somebody heal. So, mm. I mean, just a stupid example. A guy years ago came to me and said, um, my main question for the assessment is why am I so lazy all the time? Hmm. And I said, oh, interesting, tell me. And he said, you know, I'm one of those people like I always kind of like take the easy way out and I don't do things until I absolutely have to. And I've been like this as a child and my parents always commented on how lazy I was. And that's the way I've kind of been. And, you know, so I'm just wondering like, why am I so lazy? Where does that come from? And is there anything I can do about it? Hmm. Well, you know, I test them. And all the tests show depression and lethargy and low energy associated with depression. Uh -huh. So I went back to him and I said, you know, it's very interesting because you call this lazy, but you know, on the testing, it looks, you know, you scored like people who have depression, but mm -hmm. I don't, I don't, you never mentioned that word or ever talked about it. And he said, yeah, well, I don't cry or don't want to commit suicide. I said, oh, there's like a million kinds of depression. And like mm -hmm. one is to just feel tired, lethargy, low energy, low motivation. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder if any, 
And he was like, oh, so it's not like a character flaw? And I said, no, I don't think so. And he said, and there's something you can do about it? <laughs> oh, yeah. And other people have this too? Oh, yeah. And what's it called again? Lethargic depression? Oh, wow. Is there something I can read about that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so at the end, you yeah. know, he like shifted. He, you know, he had this very negative view of himself as being mm. lazy. Yeah. But then he found out that there was something that he hadn't been able to put a different word on. Mm. And he he spent his whole life just thinking that there was something wrong with him or his character, and why couldn't he just tough through or do what you know, be disciplined or whatever it might have been. And then, so then just this through this therapeutic assessment, and then finding out. He didn't have to feel shame for being broken. Right. Yeah. And the story was touching. His mm. mother had died when he was five, mm. very suddenly. Mm. And um, his father kind of like fell apart for a while, but then married uh, another woman a year later. And she was a little bit like an evil stepmother. Oh. And, um, and he had had this profound loss. And yeah. so when we looked back, he was like, apparently like a really cheery, bouncy child. Mm. But after his mother died, then he remembered like lying around a lot and not mm. wanting to go out and play and all that kind of stuff. But okay. at five years old, nobody tells you that's depression. Yeah. And nobody saw it as depression or understood where it came from. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah. And um, I have a, I just have a belief, if you have a problem and you have shame about the problem, mm -hmm. if you have an eating disorder, or if you have an alcohol problem, if you have a sexual dysfunction, or you have depression or whatever, and you're ashamed of that, mm -hmm. the problem will be harder to resolve. And if we can engage in a process that makes you have more self-compassion about why you have that problem, even if you don't do anything else, that problem begins to start to resolve just by reducing the shame. Mm. Yeah, I could see that. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and how, how long have you been um, maybe empirically researching shame with therapeutic assessment? You know, we started doing it in a very indirect way. The very first study of therapeutic assessment that we did in 1992, my colleague Mary Tanziger and I, we looked at the effects of MMPI feedback on people as opposed to getting uh, an equal amount of time doing supportive psychotherapy. Mm. And we measured uh, symptomatology, but then we also measured self-esteem mm. and people's self-esteem went up. Huh. And then I realized, oh wait, yes, self-esteem goes up, but what's really happening is we're reducing shame. Mm. So you, and so then the two, in subsequent studies, we started to be more attentive to what was going on. Uh -huh. yeah. And how, this might be a, a dumb question. How would you say that, so there's talk about labeling um, and what it means to give someone a label. And some people might, sit, might feel relieved by getting a diagnosis. They're like, oh, that's what's wrong with me. Some people might not enjoy being diagnosed a certain way. So when when self-esteem goes up after like a an mmpi feedback session um what would you say is exactly happening that reduces the shame in that feedback session yeah, yeah. well again what i hope is people come 
to understand something about why they have the problem they have, mm -hmm. that there's a word and a name for it, that mm -hmm. they learn to take themselves a little less personally. Okay. And, um, and then see that there are things they can do possibly to help themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think there's another thing too. They feel um, seen and understood by someone and accepted. Mm. You know, like for example, we don't give a diagnosis to anybody unless they ask us for a diagnosis. Okay. That's not one of their questions. Yeah. Then, you know, I mean, there are contexts where you're working in an institution and you have to give diagnoses. Uh -huh. So then you might share it with the client. Yeah. And we'd say, you know, your, your psychiatrist has asked us to weigh in on what you diagnosis might be appropriate so we'll be trying to answer that question but what questions do you have about yourself mm. um so but the main goal is to help someone feel seen understood accepted and understand themselves better in a new way that works better for them and that that helps them take the next steps that they need to grow and mm. change so i really like the way that in therapeutic assessment you do that with the with the with the client is how they lay out you I think one of it is you mentioned what like quandaries do you have that you would like to figure out um what questions do you have about yourself yeah and you have them list three to five maybe is something like that sometimes more yeah yeah, yeah. and I really like that I think in a lot of assessments that I've seen or done it's not so much that way it's like um you know do I have ADHD and then you translate that to what is what is contributing to attention difficulties and that's about all that we really need in order to get started with a referral question you know right yeah yeah we really try to get people feeling safe enough to explore mm. where they're having struggles uh -huh. and <laughs> you know and here sort of like um attachment neurobiology comes in you know if you think of uh a, a, a little kid, if he's scared and doesn't feel secure, mm. <laughs> attached, he's not going to be able to explore the world very easily. Uh -huh. <laughs> He'll be clinging to his attachment figure's leg, you know. Mm. Yeah. Um, so adult clients too, if you can get them feeling safe and accepted, and I'm not going to shame you, and and curiosity is very infectious too. Mm. If I say, oh, I want to learn about you and where you're struggling, then they get curious too, and then. Mm people pose questions and it's a way you're almost teaching a little bit of self-reflective capacity too mm, uh -huh. i guess teaching people how to mentalize would be the new word yeah 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 and i that's one thing i noticed in your writings is you seem to have a, a kind of a wide-ranged interest in psychoanalytic thought uh and authors like you you mentioned uh harry stack sullivan and you went to the course on control mastery theory um and so in some ways, I think a lot of them, they might not look so much at symptom reduction. They look more at how can we boost self-esteem or boost attachment or all these different things. Um, how much does psychoanalytic thought go into, well, you know, how, how much, do, what got you interested in psychoanalytic thinking and, and how has that helped you in therapeutic assessment? It's um, it's really interesting that you see that thread in my work, uh. because I'll tell you, um, actually, my initial training in therapy was in cognitive behavioral therapy. Oh, really? Yes. 
and um and i did a long course as a client in gestalt therapy oh. um, and learned a bunch of those techniques so um, like when Gestalt therapists look at my work, they say, oh, I'm really impressed to see that you have so much Gestalt therapy. <laughs> and when cognitive behavioral therapists re see what I do, they go, oh, wow, so you're really doing cognitive behavioral <laughs> therapy. So I think you're saying wow. that it's something about you and what you see in the world. <laughs> yes, I imagine. I imagine you're correct. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, because when you think about what we're doing is uh, what I explained, we're trying to change people's cognitive schemas, right? Mm -hmm. That's very cognitive behavioral yeah. and using collaborative empiricism, you know, to do <laughs> but really, I've done training in lots of different therapies. I've been fortunate to have time to do that and the, you know, financial resources and whatever to do that. Yeah. I stole from all of them what uh, <laughs> and I'm still stealing, you know. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, there's a new therapy I'm learning about called coherence therapy that has to do oh. with memory reconstruction. And I'm stealing pieces from that. And I bring them back to therapeutic assessment. And it just seems to get hmm. richer. And and this the lovely thing is people with different kinds of therapy training can bring what they have and there's a home for them in therapeutic ah, i love it yeah. yeah okay and i think it's you know one of the things that we're really strong on in therapeutic assessment is case conceptualization hmm. so after we do testing to be able to stop and think on a deep level uh, you're really integrating the client's experience and history and whatever whatever and i push myself to go okay what would my cognitive behavioral professor say ah. what would my self-psychology supervisor say hmm. what would a coherence therapist say is going on <laughs> and think about it and then i say okay which of these stories fits best with this client hmm. and is going to be most useful to this particular client at this point in time hmm. yeah <laughs> that's uh it's a lot of extra work but i'm sure it pays off really well thinking of all of those different models and and how that might go into you mentioned you don't necessarily write a you know a finalized formal report it's more of a letter um can you it tell us about the setting sometimes we have to write a report but okay. if we don't have to then we write a letter to the client right okay yeah and um how did that idea come up come up with with writing a letter more more of a personalized letter yeah um i did, when i opened the center for therapeutic assessment in 1993 i did a little research study that i've mentioned in some of my writings i never published it separately um asking a lot of the clients who were referred for assessment if they had had previous experiences with assessment mm. and so i had about 150 people um answering questions and we did we did like a questionnaire first and then we interviewed some of the people hmm. and the people really did not have good experiences with their previous assessments hmm. they felt really disrespected they felt like they didn't get anything out of it they felt you know badly treated all kinds of stuff and one of the things they complained about was either they never got good feedback hmm. or they um, it, they never got written feedback, something that they could look at, or if they somehow managed to get a hold of a psychological report or were given a psychological report and made them feel ashamed, they felt terrible, they didn't understand it, whatever. Mm. And I thought, we can do better. <laughs> <laughs> 
And then by then we already had the clients posing questions at the beginning of the assessment. Mm -hmm. And then I thought the best thing to do is after we talk with them and answer their questions, and then they will have input as we talk too. Like I might say, well, your question was this, the testing suggests, is that right? And they go, oh, it's not quite right. It's more this. Mm -hmm. Then after that discussion, write it down uh -huh. in a letter and give it to the client. And now we have research that the letters are therapeutic too. Mm -hmm. That if you give oral feedback and written feedback, it's one plus one equals three. And the impact is better than if you give either one alone. Okay. Yeah. And then we then we started experimenting with in our child assessments. We wanted to give children some kind of feedback. Mm -hmm. If you talk to little kids about the results of the assessment, they usually dissociate and kind of look off. <laughs> but so then we started writing fables for them that capture the results of the assessment. Mm -hmm. And now we have research that if you do nothing else, if you do a traditional assessment, but you write a fable for the child at the end, that that's therapeutic for the child and the parents. So wow. we have a research study on that. So. Wow. Would you by any chance be able to give us an example of a fable uh, for a child after like a, a fable sure. report? Yeah. Sure. There's one I um, present a lot. Um, <clears throat> it was uh, an assessment um, where um, two women, uh, a lesbian couple, uh, brought uh, a 10-year-old girl for me for an assessment. Mm -hmm. And they one of them was the biologic aunt of the girl, and mm -hmm. the other was her partner. And they ended up caring for the little girl and her brother after um, the girl's mother, who was an intravenous drug abuser, had abandoned them in the middle of winter mm -hmm. in a tenement apartment, and they were not found for two months. Wow, two and this months. little 10 year old girl had been um, cooking for her brother and taking care of him, scrounging in garbage cans to take care of him. Mm. And the early history, even before those two months, this mother was very chaotic. And um, so the anyway, the aunt and her partner ended up taking the girl. And then uh, because it was a familial foster situation, they didn't get any of the training that foster parents normally get adopting mm. traumatized children and what they're going to be like. Mm -hmm. And they were just completely overwhelmed and confused by things like the girl would um, hide food in her room mm. and they would find, you know, a bucket of cookie dough in there. And then when they would ask, did you take this? No, 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 I didn't take it. And then she stole crutches from the basement of the house, walked partway to the school, then walked to the school on crutches and told the school that she had broken her foot. Mm. And everybody treated her really nicely. And the kids carried her tray in the cafeteria and the teacher was nice to her and whatever. And then she would go home and hide the crutches again. And then a couple of days later, the school called the parents and said, why are you walking, letting her walk to school on a broken foot? <laughs> and they were like, what? And then, and they were furious. They felt mm. like she was trying to make them look bad. So there were all these kinds of things. And she was really bossy with her little brother. And they kept saying, don't do that. We're in charge of him. You don't have to boss him. Mm. So we did the assessment with the parents watching. And they mm. were very negative about the girl at the beginning. They were thinking of just sending her away again. Like, wow. 
you know, because they were yeah. so frustrated with her. And yeah. they had all these questions like, why does she lie? And why does she steal food? And why, do, you know, yeah. um, and then what became very clear as the assessment went on is she had a severe attachment disorder mm. from all this stuff that had happened early on. And the, the biologic aunt had basically not let herself think about that child's experience because she felt so guilty as a family member mm -hmm. that her sister had exposed the child to all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So little by little, the parents came to understand her. Um, and I did a fantasy animal drawing, which is a Leonard Handler collaborative assessment technique with a little girl in the middle of the assessment. And she wrote, she drew up, the instructions are draw a make-believe animal that nobody has ever seen. Huh. And she drew this little thing called a cuckoo chuck. <laughs> and then you ask the child to tell you a story about the cuckoo chuck. Huh. And then you help, and it's sort of a collaborative storytelling task. Hmm. And she told this story about a cuckoo chuck that nobody understood what she was saying, and they were mad at her. Mm. And, then I said, and one day she went looking for somebody who would understand. And then I put it back to her. And, and then she said, and then she, one day she found this other entity called the Choo Choo Coo, and they understood each other, whatever. So anyway, for the fable at the end, I wrote a story about a little cuckoo chuck that it had a lot of awful experiences. Mm. <clears throat> I couldn't really explain to people how they felt inside mm. and instead would steal food or walk on crutches, et cetera. But then the, um, the Kukuchuk parents were so puzzled that they took the little Kukuchuk to some wise owls <laughs> in a part of the forest who had the Kukuchuk look uh, ink plots and do drawings or whatever. And then they explained to the parents at the end what was going on mm -hmm. and why the cuckoo chuck had stolen the, uh, the crutches and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And the, when, you know, and here's this little girl and the parents are there when you're presenting the fable and they had seen it beforehand and contributed some things. Wow. And when she's, and she chose to read it on her own Oh, okay. In front of everyone. And as she's reading it, and then at this one point, you could see she got that it was about her. Mm. And that, you know, that we were basically explaining this stuff about her in this way. And you, I mean, you could just see this child get it, feel pleased, transform. Mm. You know, it was just so moving, really. So. Yeah. I'm sold. I, <laughs> I'm on my way to your institute right after this, <laughs> right after this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's, that sounds, that sounds like some great work. It sounds like a very, I really like it. When we had a, um, I was taking the, the Rorschach class last summer. Yeah. And we, that's when I first heard about you, they showed us a video about you and therapeutic assessment and, um, and my teacher mentioned that you write like for children, you write fables or short stories kind of describing the process. And I was like, this, he gets it, you know, <laughs> I love, I love your creativity and how you've, how you've, uh, how you've put so much of yourself in this and how you've pulled from all these sources and, I really, I, I look up to it and I admire what you're doing. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you, Daniel. Yeah. So, 
I just love what I do and it, yeah. I've learned a lot from my clients and I just think this way of assessment helps us grow up more as people too. You know, mm. If you use tests to get in people's shoes, uh -huh. then you get to be empathic to all kinds of people that normally you might not be empathic to. Mm. Why does the pedophile do what does he do? Why does the murderer do what he do? Why does this person who seems like they're so um, self-sabotaging, why do they do what they do? Mm. And you start just developing more empathy for the whole world, you know? Uh, yeah. so. Well, Dr. Finn, um, I don't believe I have any questions left for you, but is there anything that you'd like to kind of uh, part with? No, it, I just want to thank you for doing this. And it's, uh, uh, and, and your responsiveness to what I'm talking about is really lovely too. Oh, so, good. Um, um, and for giving me a chance to tell some of these stories. We, we're anybody who's interested in their big assessment, we're very interested in training them. Hmm. And, um, and we have um, our therapeutic assessment institute has a website therapeuticassessment.com. Hmm. And we post our trainings there, we you can get supervision and consultation. And we're always writing and trying to put stuff out. So um, great. I'll, I'll, um, I'll post your website in the description below. Thank you yeah. very much. Yeah. Okay, Daniel. Dr. Fenn, thank you so much. Yeah, take good care. Thanks again for the opportunity. Bye.